Welcome to Rock Shop Talk. Our show talks best practices, fun anecdotes, and the latest cutting-edge technology in our field to kick your screen printing gears into hyperdrive. Today's episode features tax considerations in the printing industry. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be right back. I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk. Today, we are discussing the very fun topic of tax, tax implications, sales tax, everything tax. Uh, we are joined by Carrie Souders of Aldrich and our CFO, Don Hatton. And as always, our creative producer, Mr. Merrill Caps. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Good to see you all remotely today. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm really remote, not even in the studio. So um, this will be the first non-studio Ross podcast. I'm kind of sad, but maybe it'll be different. Who knows? Well, we got uh, Meryl there, so we're good. We do. I just okay. might end up with like dogs and a five-year-old and who knows what else uh, coming in. So um, we might have some surprises in our episode. We'll see so what happens. Kind of like when you're here. <laughs> Except it's yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So um, wanted to get started and kind of just kick this off with some updates. Wanted to thank everyone for joining us at the Printing United Digital Trade Show. It was awesome. We had a lot of great conversations with uh, partners out there that are still grinding away, uh, making money and, and attending digital trade shows. So really good turnout there. Um, and we actually have some news, which I think Meryl will give. We were giving away a trip um, for someone who joined us that trade show to go to Denver Print House and train with the one and only Danny Gruninger mm -hmm. on special effects printing and everything screen printing. So do, do we have a winner, Meryl? We do have a winner. My question to the group, and I'm going to make it a democratic process here. Should we announce it at the end or now? Now. All right. I think we should announce one letter at a time and see. <laughs> my. I like it. And we still need one of those sound effects, like radio things. Yeah. Can you get one of those? We yeah, like, ah, I kind of want to just like poke you to do that because I can't <laughs> like nobody nothing will sound as good as that. Hold on. Let's see. Uh, well, we do have a winner. And I'm about to announce the name and then I'll call him on the air with us on speaker, cool. see if we can get them and share that experience. So the official winner is bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Will Marks of Osier Apparel. So, nice job, Will. Yeah, congrats. So let's uh, see if we can get Mr. Marks here from Georgia. Remember last time we did one of these live calls, we gave away the press at Long Beach. I remember that. It was so much fun. I can't take the suspense. Hi, is this Will? Hi, this is Meryl Caps from Rock US, uh, giving you a call to share a Really fantastic news that you are our official winner for this trip giveaway to Denver Print House. Motherfucker, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> You're going to tell him he's live on the air right now. What's that? Podcast. 
Yes, you are. And you are live on our podcast right now. And we uh, we wanted to share this with the audience that you are our official winner. And uh, from from now, you have a year to decide when you were going to take us up on that uh, free trip of uh, two days one on one with Danny Groninger at Denver Print House and uh, all expenses paid and travel. How do you feel? Are you freaking? Uh, <laughs> I look at the day a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's it's a it's a big deal. Well, we're we're so excited for you, and we're so excited for Danny too, and we thank Danny for being a partner in this. Um, so listen, yeah, yeah we'll um. We'll be in touch uh, later today. Um, I'll, I'll have Rob reach out to you and we'll kind of coordinate all of that. But we wanted to just congratulate you and say thank you for entering and for, uh, contributing to the awesome event with Printing United. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, bro. Cheers, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Well, that was- That was, was awesome. Yes. That was really exciting. Yes. You totally got the sales call freeze though at the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Who's this? I mean, and that was like stone cold. Like, mm -hmm. who's this? Mm -hmm. I like that. And then he stole Dawn's ability like, to use her favorite word the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. We got the, the first f bomb from a guest. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dawn. That's really disappointing. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to share. I don't need that limelight all the time. It's, it's no problem. I'm willing to hand it off. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yes, as you were. Yeah. So um, just quick other news. We do have another digital trade show coming up in January with uh, impressions. Mm -hmm. So something to look out for. And then for everyone listening, we have most likely, and stay tuned, a pretty special day in December um it's called free freight friday it's a kind of interesting thing so i'm gonna i'm gonna put a little ellipse after that you mm -hmm. know and just let it soak into people that are listening that you know there might be uh something cool to look out for in your inbox um for free freight friday so outside of that since we won't uh you know have listeners through the holiday wishing everyone a happy and safe happy and safe holiday i think that's the important piece of news absolutely get your yeah get your grub on yeah. um so let's dive in um let's talk taxes because yes, yeah giving stuff away for free is is super fun trade shows are super fun but taxes are like <laughs> the best by far so much fun um yeah, and our hope through this this uh, episode is really, I mean, I'm hoping this will really help educate some people. Tax is a complicated thing. Um, I know when I started my company, uh, I made all kinds of mistakes, and I'm sure I'll get into some fun stories about that because there's some pretty hilarious ones. Um, but without further ado, I want to introduce Carrie with Aldridge and uh, just give her a second to kind of tell our listeners who Aldridge is, what you do there, and um, then we'll kind of go from there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Carrie Sauters. Uh, I practice on the tax side and I have since I started my career in 1998. I actually did some internships before that. 
Uh, and I do what I do because I like helping people and I don't have the hands or the stomach for any sort of medical things and flying planes or those things. So, uh, you know, and honestly, this year has been, uh, honest, it's, it's been a hard year, but being able to help clients get the PPP to get credits in place, you know, all of a sudden tax became something that was helpful um, as opposed to just something that you have to do a few times a year and no one wants to do it um, and they don't want to write the check. Uh, but I'm sure that there are lots of people. And we actually have some kind of late breaking PPP news from yesterday that we can walk through later. But um, Aldridge, I've been with Aldridge now for 11 years. Um, I'm a partner. I lead our manufacturing and distribution practice. Aldridge started in Salem, Oregon in 1973. Uh, and has been um, a place for many people like me that came from the national firms to uh, find a place to finish off their careers where they get to help clients and just really work closely with clients, um, work in a consulting capacity. And we do a lot more than just CPA work. We also have grown with our clients. So clients say, hey, I sold my business. What do I do with our money? Now we have a wealth practice. Hey, I don't know what to do with my insurance. Now we have insurance hey, I'm thinking about selling my business now. We have capital. Um, so we've really been able to grow with our clients and for our clients over time. We also have a technology practice that's a, a newer offering uh, because, you know, as, a, as someone, we hope that we build trust with our clients um, and that, you know, people that we trust will be people that they trust. That's awesome. Dig that. Very cool. So yeah. you kind of talked a little bit about you know, the pandemic. And obviously this has been yeah. an interesting year to say the least. And I mean, we're kind of right back into the thick of it, it seems right now. Um, how has that affected, you know, the tax world? I mean, obviously PPP and, and maybe actually now is a good time to get into some of that because that was one of the topics that we wanted to kind of go through mm -hmm. first before we dive more specific into some, some other areas. But um, how has it affected the tax industry? How has it affected people? What are the things that people should look for now coming up? I mean, you said there's some new news. Um, if you can just kind of go into maybe the past and then moving into, you know, what we're looking at moving into 2021, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, happy to. So there's a lot that I wouldn't have guessed when I started this year or um, especially when I hit April number one. Um, I think we're on our 7th April, that it just is the never-ending April. Uh, one of them is that, you know, honestly, that I would learn SBA rules because mm. the PPP, it's, it's not actually, you know, my world's the tax world. But, you know, what we were sort of uniquely positioned is that people like me, we have to develop the ability to be able to digest new information, learn it really, really fast, and then get it out because, you know, we get we get new Congress and there's new rules. Um, something happens, there's new rules. And so really we were sort of in this spot where we were trying to learn banking rules and loan rules. Uh, because we were able to go through it quickly, we kind of got it. So it's not to say I'm, I'm an expert, the attorneys are the experts, uh, but I definitely had to learn it. So, um, you know, sort of early on when the CARES Act came out, there were a lot of provisions in there really designed to keep people paying their employees to, you know, there were some, a lot of people got checks, but a lot of those provisions were really designed to help businesses. So businesses that have people going out, you know, that they're sick, they're taking care of kids, businesses trying to keep people on the payroll. 
Um, and so a lot of companies, and I'm guessing a lot of people uh, watching, um, are people that receive the PPP. And so right now, uh, we've got people filling out applications um, for forgiveness. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. I mean, that's just, I've, I've seen a bunch of them. And I would say everyone just is thoroughly enjoying the process. They are not thoroughly enjoying the process. <laughs> it's <a laughs> gathering. But ultimately, especially on the smaller loans, like they, they really want to forgive them. So they're, they're trying to, you know, make it as easy as possible. Unfortunately, anytime a government organization puts together a form, that is not the outcome. Like there are always questions on there that you could read 77 different ways and there's no instructions. So if you have questions, reach out to your CPA. If we don't know the answer, we will make something up and at least say, hey, in theory, this is closer than this answer. And I would just go with this and we're all doing the best we can. So um, filling out the applications we learn. So originally when the when CARES Act came out, you know, Congress said at the time that it was not going to be taxable. So it wasn't going to be taxable income. Their intent was this was a lifeline to businesses. They wanted those businesses to keep people employed in this window. Now we had no idea how long it was going to go on for. Um, we, I mean, it's still, again, many, many Aprils, uh, but that was the plan. IRS then came out later and said, okay, Congress, you know, you said that it's not going to be taxable income, but we're saying it's not, you're not going to get your deduction. So what that means is that deductions used for payroll um, and the other expenses that people are claiming their PPP for, they don't get to deduct for tax purposes. So sort of the late breaking news is that we were really waiting to see what timing on that was. Was it when someone got forgiveness? So for you know those of you listening in, you got a PPP, you spent the money as you were supposed to spend the money, you kept paying people, you kept them employed, now you're submitting for forgiveness. Um, you're probably not gonna get forgiveness till next year. And your year end probably ends 1231. So what does that mean? And we didn't know the answer. IRS just came out and said, when, you're in, when you incur those expenses, that's when you have to reduce them for tax purposes. So what this means, if Congress doesn't act and you know, sort of thump the IRS and say, hey, we did not intend for this to affect taxes at all. We wanted to give companies 100% of this money, not 70% of the money. And the reason it would be 70% some of that would go to taxes. Uh, if they don't do that, then that would mean this is taxable income effectively, a uh, reduction of deductions, but we'll call it taxable income uh, this year in 2020. So that's kind of the big thing that's out there right now. So for those people with PPP, hopefully you've been talking to your CPA, whoever helps you with taxes saying, hey, you need to make sure you've got some money sort of set aside to be able to pay these taxes. Uh, now we wait for Congress. So question, sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, but like, I, you know, I, not only I, are we dealing with the pandemic shift, but you know, you're talking about Congress. Now we're talking about politics, mm -hmm. and we're dealing with this giant political shift that's sort of in yeah. We'll call it a limbo phase, I guess is a way to put it. Um, does that is that going to affect? Or are you guys predicting any sort of effect on what Congress actually decides to do with you know we're in the middle? I mean, I guess the election's over, but you know we're in the middle of an election year. Things are kind of you know out of whack, I guess you could say, or just not totally yeah. where they 
typically are at this point. So is that having an effect on, on any of that outcome or you guys predict any sort of effect on that outcome or because it's within this year, it should just sit with where it's at. Yeah. I think that, you know, we were hoping that this lame duck session. So right after the election that we'd see another uh, package released because, you know, there's a lot of, of talk about, you know, sort of another lifeline that needs to go out. Uh, right. It hasn't gone anywhere. And so we were really hoping to see it before the end of the year. I think with everything going on in DC now, keeping in mind, I think the only thing that is predictable in DC right now is that it's unpredictable. So right. you can't really look to history and say like, here's the way things work because it just seems like nothing, nothing. Oh, we've got an executive order, which is you know not how we've historically kind of worked with things. So. I think it's going to be next year. Mm. So, Carrie, let me ask you a question to expand a little bit on that as far as to help with our listeners here today with the cash implication of the way that this PPP CARES is done based on the type of organization you are, because a C-Corp tax implication is going to be different from an S-Corp, which is going to be different from a sole prop. Correct. So can you elaborate a little bit of that for our customer, our, our listeners today about how the, what type of organization you should be on looking out for and when to help prepare them? Yeah, so is the is the question how that PPP is going to be recognized for those entities? Yes. So I think at the end of the day, if Congress doesn't act, we're hoping. We, I mean, we really feel like this was not their intent. They've come out and said this wasn't their intent. So we are hoping that they come out and say this wasn't our intent and this all goes away. But we have to plan right now for this to be something that needs to be dealt with. At the end of the day, it's going to be on your, your tax return where you spent the funds. And so for a C-Corp, you know, keeping in mind that C-Corps are their own, you know, little beast. And so they pay their own taxes. Yep. So if they got, you know, a $500,000 PPP and, you know, they had a million dollar loss because it has been a really hard year, then that PPP would make it a $500,000 loss. So, you know, there, it may be that people don't feel it quite as much because there are other operating losses going on. Because again, it's, it's been a really challenging year, but say there was, you know, break even. And then that, then the PPP comes in and it's $500,000 of income and there's going to be taxes on that. But for a C-Corp, the C-Corp itself is going to pay the taxes. So, you know, that will mean, you know, coming up now, talking to your CPA about whether that's doing it in December um, for most calendar year, or if it's doing it next year, um, but that will come due. Pass-throughs, pass through to the individual. So these are partnerships and S-corps and LLCs. Um, these show up on the individual return. So um, what will happen is, you know, people will get a K-1. So those of you who get K-1s, you're familiar with getting it. And on that K-1, assuming that the PPP is effectively income, it's going to be higher. And so it's something that you need to be aware of. We're really hoping that the service is sort of forgiving with estimated tax payment requirements. Um, but it's it's just something that is going to be coming unless Congress acts. And I, I really am crossing my fingers because they made it very, very clear after the IRS came out and said this, that was not their intent. But I don't think we can plan on it. So just make sure that if you have a PPP that you've sort of squirreled away, you know, 30 to 40% of it um, to make sure you can cover taxes. 
Um, now, granted, I know you had to spend it, but 30 to 40% of that amount in other cash that you have to cover taxes. Um, and then let's hope that Congress acts and you can use that, you know, 30 to 40% to keep funding the business through this, you know, storm of 2020. Right. So and, for and the companies... I, oh, go, go ahead, Russ. Don. No, I was just going to say that. I find that to be so disheartening because in order for the PPP to be forgivable, you had to spend 70% alone just on your payroll. So, you know, for our businesses out there that were struggling and wanting to keep team members employed, you know, then you, you, if, if you needed the rest of that 30% in order to cover your payroll, I guarantee you most of these businesses don't have 30 to 40% set aside for taxes because it was supposed to be forgiven. And you're supposed to meet these minimum requirements in order for it to be forgiven. Yeah, in order to get it forgiven, you had to spend it all. And so, you know, that means that if operationally, you know, companies have been able to accumulate some cash to be able to do it, maybe they can do it, or maybe they were sitting on some cash, but this has been a hard year. And, you know, and your industry has been hit really hard. So, I am guessing that, you know, that's not the situation for most. So, you know, here's the ask, you know, reach out to your legislators, let them know, let them know where you are. I mean, they, a lot of them understand, but they need to hear the stories because it will be a hardship and we don't want companies that are struggling, really struggling or not being able to make it because of this. Now, right, because isn't there also, Carrie, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, it's almost a double-edged sword here because not only from a tax side, right? Because there's always differences in what you're paying on book income versus tax Mm -hmm. income. And so if originally you were taxed on the tax side, you had losses. And now with this being considered taxable income, you don't have a loss carry forward to take you into the new year. You could possibly have income now. So not only are you paying that, but now when you're going to New Year trying to get out of this hole that has been dug, you don't have a lost carry forward to bring over for you. Yeah. Either either you've got income this year or maybe it chews up the losses that were going. Now, you know, I recognize where you know the IRS is saying, well, but you got free money. Um, but again, this wasn't the intent of Congress. And I I think a lot of companies had really rough years. So maybe at the end of the day, it's not cash out of their pocket, but those are losses that they then can't use. Um, Another change that we had in the CARES Act is that some losses can be carried back. And we had lost that coming out of tax reform at 2017. So if people are having losses, um, that is something to be talking to their advisor about. So the, the reason it's important is because like, so if you have a C-Corp, say again, this encapsulated entity, and you had a loss, previously it had to go forward. But now you can actually carry it back and pull back cash now. So you can actually sort of accelerate getting that cash back sooner. Um, granted, it's not then available to carry forward. Uh, and this is where I'm gonna get super nerdy, which is you know what puts me in the corner with my nose to the wall during cocktail parties, but it's a point. So say there is a C-Corp, and I don't know how many companies are structured as a C-Corp, but it's an easier example than individuals, which are more complicated. Uh, The current tax rate is 21% coming out of reform. This is federal only. If you carry it back into the back years, that rate may be 34%. So there's a permanent benefit in some cases 
Individuals, it's a little squishier because there's so many rates and so many things with what happens, but there could be a permanent benefit um, where basically you're going to get more back if you went back than if you went forward. Uh, we've had a few of those that have happened. So again, just things to think about. Wow. It's a lot to digest. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy Meryl to looks, think that... Like, Meryl looks like he needs a drink. Should we get... <laughs> he probably has one over there somewhere. I know Meryl pretty well. I'm sure there's a bottle of scotch laying within five feet of where he's sitting. Absolutely not. You took care of that last time. So then... <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. I'm sorry, so it is kind of crazy to think then that some of these companies that took PPP they needed to take care of people at the time, you know, it was a struggle. Everyone shut down. I mean, especially if you look at states like California, you know, these really, really strict, you know, New York, when everything started to happen, it's like, okay, everyone go home and everyone's scrambling, trying to figure it out. Okay. PPP. Yes, I need that. And then some of them though came back and are having record years. I mean, we even have, you know, some of our partners that are up 20, 30%. And so they took advantage of something and now they're having to tack that on as additional revenue. And as it sits right now, it's just like an extra taxable event, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're making these decisions, I feel like in a gut. I mean, people were like, okay, this money is here. No one knew it was going to happen. So um, that's, that's a lot to take in. I didn't even realize that. So hopefully uh, our fingers are crossed uh, with you that uh, <laughs> Congress will come back and say, yeah. No tax. You're good to go. Here's your forgiveness. Have a nice day. Um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of companies like you described that were having a really rough go. And then, you know, they got the PPP and then they were able to sort of, you know, change course because they had that safety net that was able and they end up having a sort of a fine year. There are also some that that the PPP really just barely got them through. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the ones that I'm most concerned about. And um, also, people who got large PPP, so over $2 million, um, just be prepared for a very invasive questionnaire. Um, so that's something new that's out there that's floating out. Um, and you can certainly, if people ask you, you can send them my way. I can pass along a copy of it. Uh, but it asks a lot of questions. Uh, there's a lot of pushback on it. We'll see where it lands, but just be prepared. Awesome. Well, on that note, let's uh, take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we will dive further into the tax world. We'll be right back. Your business may be eligible for the tremendous Section 179 deduction for the remainder of the 2020 tax year. The bonus depreciation deduction or a combination of both. To learn how your business can benefit from this awesome tax opportunity, please visit rock.us slash pages slash section dash 179. I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we talk all things screen printing. And today we are adding the lovely topic of tax. We are joined uh, by Carrie Sodders of Aldrich, as well as uh, Don Hatton, our CFO, and of course, Meryl Caps, our creative producer. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you, distinguished guest. You're, Is that you're welcome. PC, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very good. <laughs> okay. Um, so I wanted to kick this off just kind of on the back of, you know, we we're talking about different entity types and kind of how PPP relates to those entity types. Um, you know, and I think for a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of, you know, small to mid-sized businesses, some mm-hmm. of them just getting started out there. And 
you know, entity setups, such an important thing when you get started. And I think it's something, you know, especially with a small business, I, I know even when I got started with my other company, um, you know, you kind of go in, you can do a DBA. Yes, I'm a sole prop. You pick your name, you publish in a magazine for 30 days. No one can test it. Now you own a business and you're like, yay, I'm good to go. And a lot of people just aren't thinking at that point in time because it's all about the entrepreneurship of starting a business. And, you know, sole proprietorship has a lot of negative you know, tax effects, as well as, you know, from a legal standpoint, protections, right? I mean, it really puts you as a human being at risk for, for a lot of different things. And so I just wanted to take a second, Carrie, if you could do just a pretty quick, you know, overview, mm -hmm. I mean, really high level, though, of what people should think about when they're getting into business, and they're getting started. And I will say that, We've had a lot of people start one way and then decide to transition for five years through. And what they don't realize is it hurts their business credit. It's like basically they started a new company. So when they go to get lending, lenders don't look at them as if they've been in business for two to three years because of the way that they transition. So maybe the difference between them and then if you are deciding to transition, what's the smartest way to do that so you retain the most value out of what you've built for absolutely you know, years. um so quick caveat I, um, I just see them a lot when we've been exiled to the corner at cocktail parties because no one wants to hear what we have to say because it's so boring um but you know when it comes to entity selection I mean to your point sole proprietor not having entity any sort of entity structure uh that's gonna send an attorney breathing into a paper bag because they're <laughs> want to make sure that you have legal protection. And so to have legal protection, you have to have an entity. And, you know, I would say to someone starting their business, they should probably, you know, pay someone like me for an hour of their time to talk through it. And that person, whoever they talk to should be starting with kind of what is your end goal? Like, where do you see this going? Because you can make a decision here with, you know, these facts, but you know, maybe someone's going this direction or this direction or this direction. You just want to make sure that you make a good sound decision here. So that way you're not in a situation five years from now going, oh gosh, we really wish we would have done something else. So, so is that kind of an example? Like if you started your business with the intent to sell it five years later, like you may want to structure it differently than if this is a long-term keep it in the family, you want something to pass down through legacy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my, my big piece of advice to someone thinking about it at first would be consider an LLC. And the reason that I would say consider an LLC is because with an LLC, you can change your mind on paper alone through tax elections and be treated differently. So I can, so if it comes to a tax driver only, um, I can file a form and that LLC can be an S-Corp, taxed as an S-Corp. I can file a form and that LLC can be taxed as a C-Corp without doing anything. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes documents have to be updated behind the scenes, but you can change your tax life very, very easily. Um, you know, I think where we see mistakes is where someone maybe starts up front and says, well, I'm going to be a corporation because, you know, I want to be a business. But then there's a lot of advantages to being a pass-through. 
So, you know, there's a lot of advantages because when you're a pass-through, it passes through to your personal taxes. So here's the advantage. Say you make $100,000 in your business and you pull out $50,000 to pay taxes. You can pull out the rest of that tax-free. If you're a corp, you're going to pay less taxes up front. And so that's sort of enticing to people because corporations have lower taxes. But when you pull it out, you're taxed on it. It's taxes, dividends. So, you know, then you get two layers of tax. So that's kind of a, it can be a little short-sighted. Now, a C corporation, if you have a foreign investor, that's what they're going to want. So there's, you know, some, there's some other reasons that you might do that. But I would say to someone starting out, you know, consider an LLC because you can change your mind later. And a lot of times when people have an LLC, at some point they'll start making enough money where they'll start hearing, maybe I should be an S-Corp for payroll taxes. And true statement, that'll save money in payroll taxes. But that's where you also have to ask the question again, where do you want to be? Because sometimes down the road, you may be in a situation where you'd actually prefer not to be an S-Corp. So you have to kind of balance that like, you know, what does it look like? And is it going to save me? You know, what's short-term, what's long-term? Um, but talk to an attorney, talk to a CPA. It is worth spending, you know, a few hundred dollars up front to not try to fix it down the road. Because as you're describing, someone who sets up the C-Corp and then they want to be an LLC, it is an expensive tax nightmare. Plus legally, and, you know, you mentioned banks, um, it completely changes who you are and you have to kind of reset. You don't want to be there. Um, and again, I think an LLC is kind of a, a nice little way to get your toe in the water. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Over time, especially as people grow, sometimes that doesn't necessarily work for them for this reason or that reason. Yeah. And another thing too, I mean, just to add to what, you know, Carrie is saying that, that I see a lot on, on, on our end is you'll have a company sometimes even start as an LLC decide to pivot slightly and do something different and create a separate LLC, not create any sort of entity structure that falls, you know, in line with one another. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you lose all the credibility from that first LLC that you created instead of putting, you know, one underneath another or actually structuring your businesses properly. Mm -hmm. And that's where we've seen a lot of people just lose their their time in business, all their credibility and stuff. And, and sometimes it's hilarious. It's over a name change. It's like, you know, you have people and you don't have to do that stuff. But I think there's a lot of people that don't know and they've set up their business on legal Zoom. You know, they do the quick paperwork. They pay mm -hmm. the three or four hundred bucks to make an LLC and they're good to go. And so, you know, I can't stress enough to our listeners, like hire a professional. It really is not that expensive. Sometimes it seems like it may be, but if you've never done it before, I mean, people like Carrie, they want to work with you. They want you to be successful. And in the long run, they're going to save you money, mm -hmm. not cost you money. And I, I think that that's just a really important thing to throw out there because it is an easy oversight with the internet, the way it is today, it is easy to do these things and not mm -hmm. talk to anyone. And so if, if you're, you know, ever about to click that button or do something, create new entities or change your structure or whatever, definitely consult someone before you yeah, it's, pull the trigger on that. That is very sound advice. Listen to the man. Uh, you know, honestly, in my role, it's really hard to have someone come in that's a new client and then to then explain sort of horrors that have been seen um, and how painful it's going to be to unwind it. It does happen. 
Um, and so, you know, a little work on the, on the front end is going to save pain. Uh, and yeah, don't just willy nilly create enemies. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it seems like, you know, it seems like a good idea and there, you know, legally there may be reasons, but keeping in mind that if you put an LLC under something and it only has one owner, it disappears for tax, for most tax purposes. There's a couple things that sticks around for. So, you know, you still get to use this top one, even though you've got the protection, you know, in these bottom ones, talk to an attorney, I'm just making stuff up, but you know, it's doing that. But if you put them side by side, the compliance just gets so burdensome. And I hate to see people, you know, paying me a small fortune to file like 15 entities when really it could be one, like if they were Absolutely. done differently. <laughs> Yeah, I at my uh, last company, we owned, I mean, this one will trip you out, 27 DBAs under our S Corp. It was like, like, you know, that's true entrepreneurship, right? I had an idea and like we'd run a short DBA, right? And, you know, and it sucked when it came to file for anything because it's like you're, <laughs> you know, and I don't think we use, you know, probably all of them. <laughs> It all came came out of ideas, but at least that they were structured the right way. So it was like one thing at the top, all this, you know, nonsense that never did anything at the bottom. Um, I guess one day if someone wants that name, I don't know. I should have bought all the URLs. That would have made a lot more sense. And that was back <laughs> when like there were still dot coms. I could have made some money off of those. Dang. Oh, well, you live and you um, learn. Indeed. Carrie, I got a question about um, what recommended specifically for half specifically and half not specifically best um, recommended software for tracking taxes for uh, projecting tax expenses and that kind of thing just general uh, accounting advice and other your um, account your tax accountant is your best correct. is your best not software but your actual tax accountant trust me from somebody who does finances all the time <laughs> do not use so I don't use software I go straight to carry Wow. Okay. That's, that's yeah. Great. There's a lot of nuances. Um, and there's, you know, in the world that I live in, there's sort of a lot of gray. And so there's a lot of needing to understand the rules and why it is. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that for a smaller business who has, you know, a fairly simple, because you have to keep in mind that there are the way you record things in your books and fundamentally, like if you're doing it under the accounting rules, uh, you want to, they sort of require you to slow down the recognition of revenue and to speed up the recognition of deductions. And that's to make your financial statements more readable. So that's what your bank is expecting. The IRS wants the opposite because they want you to speed up the recognition of income. And with the exception of depreciation, which I'm sure we'll get to, slow down the recognition of your expenses. So you have to translate and there's this translation process that happens. So that's what we're referring to here. Very small startups where they've got really simple things going on. Maybe they just have like a meals and entertainment adjustment and some depreciation. They may have someone like me that can build them kind of something simple to track it to at least like, so that way, um, quick, Quick best practice piece of advice, companies need to know what they're gonna owe in taxes. Like they absolutely need to know what they're going to owe in taxes. They should not come to April and have it be a surprise. Like, unless they're really comfortable that they're like, yeah, I know every year this is about what I owe. It's, you don't wanna be in a situation where you cannot pay your taxes. And 
what we see happen is you come to the end of the year and you're kind of flush with cash because a lot of are due till January and then bonuses are paid out. Mm. But then where's the money when it comes for taxes? So QuickBank always know what it is. But someone like me, back to your question, can help build like a simple model to at least ballpark it. I see. When it comes to actually calculating it, I would recommend a professional. There are huge software packages available to big companies to do some of this, but that's not practical, affordable, um, and you don't have full tax departments uh, <laughs> with most businesses that can track all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm gonna dumb Merrill's question down slightly, and I'll use myself as a, as a reference point. When I started my business in 07, um, I was invoicing, doing everything out of Microsoft Word. I didn't track a single thing other than those documents. And when I showed up to file taxes, I came with a login to my bank account and a bunch of printouts of, of invoices. So, I hope you also came so, with a bottle of bourbon for your preparer. <laughs> I see so, so to take this back, just from like a, a software standpoint for people, invoicing, tracking their expenses and stuff in a very simple way. I mean, I ended up transitioning, obviously, to QuickBooks. It seems to be most, you know, really small business way to go. Obviously, there's expansive ERPs like we're on now that that track quite literally everything. But do you guys have for that small to mid-sized business just like, A, should you use software? Or should you be like Ross and show up with paper and a bottle of bourbon? Um, or, you know, what, what is the next best thing, especially for those people that are really in that kind of, you know, startup size company? Yeah. So, I mean, Don, I don't know if you have any thoughts about here. Um, but I would say that we generally see people going with, um, QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I need a quick pause cause I have to look up the other, name of the other one that has slipped my brain. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that we can edit this. Oh yeah, no, oh, absolutely. Yeah. We won't edit this though. This, no, this is great. So we're just gonna okay. We're just gonna watch me type. We're just flowing. Yeah, quick. I was like, where did it go? It just fell out of my brain. Which has actually come a long ways, and I'll, I'll talk about that for a minute. When I started, it was QuickBooks that you actually you know loaded on your system, and then eventually it transitioned to the cloud, and that cloud-based system was actually really great because I could invoice people on the fly with a nap on my phone. You could track expenses on the fly. I mean, it was, it it really worked out well. And then I I could buy my, my preparer a cheaper bottle of bourbon instead of a really expensive. Like the airplane bottle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Take the edge off. (laughs) Just a sip. (laughs) So zero. (laughs) So most of my clients, you know, like you all um, use, you know, the more expensive sort of custom built um, solutions, but the big ones that we see for smaller companies, QuickBooks, still a player, um, but Zero is kind of an up and comer. Um, okay. So those are probably the two and it's zero with an X, but those are the two to evaluate to see if it meets your needs. The nice thing, both of those have online functions. So um, one thing to save you pain is you can actually work with you know, a firm like ours, um, a bookkeeper that can go and kind of help behind the scenes. So, you know, maybe you're not at a point where you have your own kind of accounting person and you've got someone putting in the entries, but because it's online, someone can co- go and look in there and kind of help along the way to do some closings, like maybe quarterly closing to help with invoicing to provide best practices. And that's probably money well spent because at the end of the day, 
Um, you don't want to be Ross and show up with this like big mess because, you know, people doing your taxes probably aren't the right people to be doing your books all the time because it's a different skill set. Uh, it's so much easier to clean things up along the way rather than, you know, after the end of the year, trying to go back through and like poke things with a stick to see what moves and what has happened. I'm sure that <laughs> Sure, it was just like absolutely perfect. Yeah, you know, I'd like to add on to that because I think one of the biggest takeaways we have to take from that is that an organization, a company, no matter how small or large they are, needs to be disciplined to go in and put the data entry into the system. And and I get it with small organizations, it might just be a one-man shop. It might just be a single owner and who's doing all the printing themselves and doing the bookkeeping themselves. And they might've had a long day and they're like, I don't really want to put this entries into the system. System. But yes, as humans, we, okay, we're going to push it off, we're going to push it off. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, what was this for? What did I do? Did I get everything in there? So you really got to have the discipline to put that information in there so you don't miss anything. Because the one thing that we don't want to do as businesses is pay more taxes than we have to. Right. So it's really important that we recognize that revenue and those associated expenses appropriately so we don't miss anything and overpay the government. I'm the, I will, I refuse to pay the government more than they deserve. And so, you know, we just have to be disciplined in our work and what we do and put that in there. So as an organization, as a small company, it is, it is tedious, it is time consuming, but it is well worth it to take that discipline and do that all the time so you don't miss anything and be able to protect your business as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Nice. And I'm going to pivot that actually into sales tax because um, my business oh, at my the side. time was in the state of California. It's a very fun state um, for sales tax. And, and One of the sarcastic. worst states. <laughs> yeah, that was my sarcasm because every county is different. They're all different tax rates. I mean, it it, <laughs> it is a mess, right? And I, I'll use again a story because I think that this is, it's always good to start these with a story and then I'll make Carrie cringe again. Um, <laughs> but so we knew we had to charge sales tax. That's obvious. It's like, yeah, we get a charge tax. So charge tax, charge tax, charge tax, charge tax. The whole year goes by. My first year we did around 180000 in revenue, which I was like, you know, I deserved a plaque. I thought that was awesome for year one as a screen printer. Well, come to find out, you actually have to pay that sales tax back to the state. Um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> so so I, I had made this money and uh, I had spent all that money. And um, and the lovely state of California took their Penalties. big old paw. Oh, no, 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 no. Put, put the paw into the bank account, froze my bank account, penalized the ever-living guts out of me and I couldn't use my bank account until all that money was paid back. So it basically froze my business for like, I mean, I had no cash flow. It was like, where's my safe with hundred dollar bills in it? How am I going to pay to do business? I mean, it was seriously like getting money on the side to fix this thing. And I mean, we got them paid back in a couple months, but it was, it was a nightmare. And it's just one of those things again, as a new business owner, you know, you're out there, I mean, to Dawn's point, you know, I was printing, I was selling, I was doing this. And the last thing I was thinking about is like, you know, keeping track of sales taxes and actually paying those. And so I, you know, I used to teach in this industry for years and I'd hold these business seminars and I always started with like, 
pay your sales tax quarterly. <laughs> Don't forget about it. It's mm-hmm. so much easier than waiting a full 12 months because 12 months goes by and you choose how you pay it. You can wait a year, you can do it quarterly. I think you can even do it monthly. But um, so that's my horror story on sales tax. So again, I'll turn it over to, to Carrie and Don here, but in terms of tracking and how that needs to be figured out, do you guys have any uh, great pieces of advice for our listeners? Uh, well, one, I was seriously considering texting one of my children to have them bring a bottle of bourbon to me. <laughs> that was really hard to listen to. Um, and it was, I mean, well-told story. But, I mean, that's unfortunately a really common problem. I mean, sales tax is often overlooked. Um, and sales tax, so income tax at the end of the day, it kind of, if you catch it quick enough, it just sort of moves from one pocket to the other, right? So if you're paying Oregon and you should have paid California, you know, it kind of moves around. Now you get Washington in there and that screws up that theory, but you know, it, it'll move around sales tax. The big problem with sales tax is that if you, if you owe sales tax, if you have to collect it and remit it and you catch it at the point of sale, your customer pays it, right? Yep. If you don't catch it at the point of sale and you're not filing, I mean, worse the horror story is that, you know, you should have been collecting, we'll use California, we'll just keep picking on California. You know, you should have been collecting from California for 10 years, you know, didn't know you were supposed to, or knew and just kind of didn't do it, didn't have any documentation. And then California scratched onto you. And, you know, they get to go after a lot of years. It's not like they just get one year or two years, you know, depending on the state, they can really go back indefinitely. I mean, so I don't want to terrify people, but also think about, you know, your customers. So let's say, you know, you sold, you know, a large batch to someone and they were going to resell it. So that's actually a situation where you would get a certificate from them that says, we're going to resell this. And so we don't owe sales tax and you have that in your file. So that's what we call exempt. So even though it was a taxable sale of, you know, a product, they're going to resell it. So they're taking responsibility but say you didn't get that form and then you get audited down the road. Like they would have taken care of the sales tax on their end. Someone's paid sales tax on this, but you don't have documentation on that. The States will take the position that that was a taxable sale and that it's, it's joint liability. So they actually will come after, they can go after both parties. And so they're auditing you, they're going to go after you. And then you're going to have to go back and work with the company to try to sort it out or work with them to get their documentation it's not a good conversation. So um, a couple pieces of advice here. Best practices, always make sure if you think it's going to be a sale that it's going to have this resale exemption. So you're selling to someone and they're not the end user. Uh, just get the certificate. Even if you're not taxable in the state, just as a point of process for your records, just throw it in there. Because if something comes up in the future, um, then you've got that as sort of backup. Um, the other thing is we had a huge change in how we look at sales tax. So um, pr- before this change, you really had to set foot in the state. So you'd have to have someone travel in the state. You'd have to have, you know, inventory sitting in there, you know, maybe an office, but just so much as a salesperson going in and out of the state would be enough. Well, South Dakota got into a little spat with Wayfair. Um, and so with Wayfair and at the end of the day, Wayfair lost. And the Supreme Court decided that 
you know, sided with South Dakota that even though Wayfair hadn't, you know, they hadn't put that toe over the line. They'd stayed out of South Dakota because I'm not really sure how much is going on in South Dakota. Um, so they stayed out of South Dakota, but the Supreme Court said, just because of your volume of sales, you need to, you need to deal with sales tax. Like, you know, it's going here, you know, ultimately with Wayfair, the consumers aren't paying the tax on it. It's not like, you know, someone in, I mean, I know we've got some Washington people here. It's not like you order something from Oregon and people diligently pay their use tax on it. That just doesn't really happen. So um, after this Wayfair, now each state can say what the reasonable threshold is. The Supreme Court didn't say what it is. So fundamentally, if you have over $100,000 of sales into some states, that's enough to give rise to the need to deal with sales tax. This is a complete and total change. Also, there's a threshold if you have like a number of sales. We don't see that one hit quite as often. Um, those are if you're doing a lot of small dollar ones. But so keeping in mind physical presence and then now this. Um, so you need to be tracking your sales in your system. So going back to your accounting system, you got to figure out how to make sure you're tracking it by where you're shipping it to that you keep in there because, and then you can work with someone like me to help you understand, or there's also sales tax only companies that can help look at this when you trip those thresholds, because when you trip those thresholds, then you need to start dealing with sales tax and sales tax, you know, for people in Oregon, you know, people are pretty allergic to sales tax, but really people, I mean, those of you that live in a, a, tax, a state that has sales tax, like you're used to paying it. It's, it is what it is. Like you're going to pay it. And so um, and it's just better to collect it up front. So then you know you need to register with the state, start collecting and remitting sales tax, getting those certificates. But again, I would recommend getting certificates pretty early on because it'll save you if something happens in the future. So like what happens if you don't think you're taxable, but you actually find out there was an error in your system and you were taxable because these, you know, the sales were getting coded wrong or someone was traveling there and you didn't know it. Um, or something went on and you got scratched on. You actually had some inventory, some consigned inventory somewhere um, and the state found out about it. So it's just a good best practice to keep that. But because it's something that at the time of the sale isn't your problem, it's your customer's problem, they're gonna pay for it. You gotta make sure you get it right then because it's really hard to go back after the fact and clean it up and have them pay you. And it's a super awkward conversation down the road. Um, and then the other thing is, it's also, if you get audited, frequently they'll get your records and then they may go to your customer and say, hey, you didn't pay sales tax, now we're looking at you. They won't say it came from you, but it can get a little uncomfortable for everyone involved. Yeah, and I would love to add on to this too, guys, and that especially now, especially in 2020, where we've seen a change in the way we do business, where we had a lot of businesses that did brick and mortar business, right? So it'd be one thing when, if a, if a customer of yours has always come into your shop and picked up from your shop because you understood the tax rules, the state sales tax rules in that brick and mortar. But because we've had to really change the way we do business and we do a lot of more e-commerce business today, we have a lot of business now shipping and that expanded them and expanded their, their bandwidth their, their breadth of business to go to all these different states that you've never had to deal with before. Having a tax specialist like Carrie on your side who understands all those rules for you can help you and navigate you through that, that you don't have because you only knew the state that you were in. And so, it, you know, the way we do business is just really changing right now. 
And so I don't want to know all the, all the different state taxes. I don't want to know all those rules. I, I go to Carrie and say, Carrie, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> you know, and she helps me because she sees my reports that come out that says, these are the sales we have in these different states. It says, oh, by the way, Dawn, you've now reached X amount of revenue of sales into the state. This is now a taxable event for you. You're going to file what we call Nexus. And now the state's going to want you to turn over the, wants you to start collecting and remitting taxes where we may, may not have done that before. So that's super important. And one other thing that I want to point out, because this actually bit a company that I worked for before, is when you are a brick and mortar in a non-taxable state, so let's use Oregon as an example that doesn't have sales tax, and you decide you want to move your business. You don't want to do business in Oregon anymore, which is what happened to this organization. They were in Oregon, then decided to move into Washington, which is a taxable state. They did not have any of the processes in place. They did not collect exempt certificates and they did not collect sales tax. They were doing non-taxing services. And the state of Washington came in because the, as a brand new company, they were coming to see if you're doing everything right and just assess the hell out of this company. And it was a six digit fine for them because of this. It was a massive, massive expense to the company because they didn't know what they were doing. So consider that if you're an organization and you move states, understand the implications of that and what it's gonna do for you. Because those are all things that are important to organizations as you decide to run your business. Yeah, and not to frighten anyone, but keep in mind, we do have a lot of people working from home. And so you are in a border state, especially, you may have someone working in another state that you've never dealt with before that could be sort of giving rise to some tax considerations. I mean, sort of first off is gonna be payroll. You know, that's probably gonna pop up real quickly. And then also, you know, sales tax, maybe income tax. Like there's just some things, depending on the role, we better, you know, get our arms around it. So as you're kind of going into, we're coming up at the end of the year, I think, or at least maybe the end of, you know, April, you know, when we get, when we get through the end of the year, think about these things because you may be working with a tax preparer who isn't who hasn't been working with you on these things because you were that brick and mortar in one state. Everything looks a certain way. So, you know, maybe even put a little list together about, hey, we've got an employee working here. Is there something we should do? Or here's a list of our sales by state. We, you know, we did now we're into e-commerce and it's changing. Is there anything I need to do? Um, so that way it's not a surprise down the road. Good advice. Well, well, with that, let us take another commercial break. And when we come right back, uh, we'll get into some specific stuff on taxes for the end of this year. We will be right back. With a Lotus Holland Evo system, your screens are cleaned fully, ready to be coated again within minutes. Lotus Holland systems operate with non-volatile, 100% biodegradable chemicals, offering the best environmentally friendly and operator-friendly automatic cleaning systems available. For these and other award-winning solutions, please visit rock.us or call 187-ROCKET-NOW. That's 877-674-8669. I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we talk all things screen printing. And today, again, the subject of taxes. We are joined by Carrie Sauters of Aldrich, uh, along with our CFO, Ms. Don Hatton, and of course, our creative producer, Mr. Merrill Caps. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we wanted to dive into end of the year 
Um, there are some special programs set up. One of them that we wanted to focus on called Section 179, which is a tax perk to reinvest um, back in your business, probably along with a lot of other things that I don't know that Carrie could tell us here. But um, what is Section 179, Carrie, and what are the advantages to businesses taking advantage of it? Yeah, so Section 179 is a tax depreciation provision. So smaller businesses, and it's actually a big number, so it's, uh, small and, and medium-sized businesses, um, even some of the larger ones, will be able to qualify, uh, can expense basically their non-structural improvements to their building. So anything other than that, so a structural improvement to your building doesn't count. Anything other than that, if you purchase it in the year, for tax purposes, you can completely write it off under 179. And there's also a bonus depreciation provision that works as well for the bigger companies, or sometimes one of them might make more sense or another um, for the passengers in particular. So this is where you need that advisor that can look at you and say which one makes the most sense for you. Um, but you can deduct those up front. So if you have it at the end of the year, it's usable, it's ready to go, you know, that would be something that you would end up expensing. Uh, sometimes it doesn't make sense to expense. Sometimes you may have a significant loss and expensing that just makes a bigger loss and it doesn't make sense to do that. Sometimes it does continue to make sense to do it. Uh, especially where I say that companies are kind of in the pink where, you know, it's maybe a little loss, maybe it's break even, maybe it's a little income. Um, that's where you actually need more care to it than if it's significant income. And, you know, say you've got $80,000 of income and you purchase $25,000 of equipment in the year, you would want to most likely expense that unless there's some other circumstances out there. So it's a way that you can lower your income currently. And the trade-off is then you don't get to depreciate it over time. So, a little piece of advice I have for companies that has nothing to do with taxes, don't do this for book purposes because you will have people asking for your financial statements. And if you, for your book purposes, use these tax numbers, so again, we can expense most everything. Say you have $500,000 of you know, equipment and this and that and you know whatever you have on your balance sheet and you fully expensed it, it looks like you have no value in that. And so when you're giving it to your bank, you, then you have to explain it. So for book purposes, do something that makes more sense. Use a regular depreciation. Talk to someone like me about what that looks like. Um, but for tax purposes, let your tax person do their thing and expense it. And then you kind of get the best of both worlds. Your balance sheet doesn't erode and look like it's you know sort of bare. And then you tax benefit. And again, it's trade-off. So then you don't get that depreciation over time. This is where it's important to know what you're going to owe because it comes home to roost. So, you know, in a later year, if you have, you know, book depreciation, you don't get that, you don't get it again on the tax side. So this is just know what you owe, make sure you're talking to someone about it. Um, another thing to think about as you go into year end, uh, most companies will carry inventory with what y'all are doing. Uh, so when you're sitting on inventory, you have bad inventory. Uh, so inventory sits on your balance sheet. It actually can become a deduction. If you, if you have bad inventory, get rid of it. You know, figure out what it is, uh, call it, be done with it. Some people have 
lower cost or market. So if it's really not worth much anymore for some reason, um, it can be addressed. But sort of what we notice sometimes is that inventory will just sit and we'll have questions about, you know, what's going on? Oh yeah, well that something's going on and we can't ever use that. And so I'm like, well, just get rid of it. Like find a home for it, you know, move on because we'd like to take that tax deduction um, as opposed to pushing that off forever and ever and ever. But um, people making sort of equipment purchases, keep in mind if you're thinking about purchasing something in January, maybe you ask if you should purchase it in December because it's a timing difference of a year. Because if you purchase it December 29th and it's there and ready to go, that's a tax deduction under 179 or the bonus provisions now. Whereas if you wait till January, you know, it's the full next tax year before you get that. Now, granted, if you're paying estimated payments, you know, that changes it a little bit, but. So question. Yeah. Sorry. Quick question on that. And and I'm not sure what the rule is here. So this will be good for, for not only us, but for our listeners, when you're saying, okay, should I buy December 29th versus, you know, January 1st, does, do the rules state that you have to receive the asset prior to, so this would have to be something that's purchased and delivered mm-hmm. on location to be able to take advantage of that. So yeah. when people are thinking about it, especially with like capital equipment, the business we're in, you may want to not wait till the 29th, but wait Correct. until like the second or third of December to give it time to be pulled and shipped yep. in the semi truck and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. So ownership cool. has to change, right, Carrie? Correct. It needs to be, yeah, it needs to be yours and it needs to be available for use. Right. So if we have, if we have people out there, so I'm, I'm going to use some technical language here and what I'm referring to is a bill and hold. And so where if a, if, if, if a shop has product ready to go, but the customer is not able to accept it, but the, but you as a business, you're ready you have what you need to be able to send to your customer. If you get your customer to sign a bill and hold and you've transferred ownership over to them, can they take that deduction, that 179 then? So they don't actually have it in their facility. They don't have it because their facility can't take it. Like they don't have the capability. So let's talk about capital equipment. Mm-hmm. They don't, the, 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 you as a business owner, you have, you're ready. You have everything to send to your customer but your customer can't physically take it yet because they just, they're, they're where they're at just isn't able to take it. Mm-hmm. If you do a bill and hold and you transfer ownership over to them, then can your customer take the 179 deduction because ownership has been transferred through the bill and hold? It should be at their facility. So, so the bill and hold won't work then. And that's, yeah, situation. it should be at their facility because it needs to be available for you. So okay. So sometimes maybe it's not like fully in use, but it's sitting there ready to use. That would count. But if it's still at someone else's site, then um, I don't think it I, it wouldn't qualify uh, in the grand scheme of things. I'm not sure how detectable it is, but uh, it wouldn't qualify if it was under scrutiny. So, and to further this and get off of capital equipment, if I you know, was a shop, you know, I'm going to use obviously our industry as an example that stocked um, inventory of blank garments mm-hmm. and I'm running kind of low towards the end of the year. I do need that tax benefit. Is something like that considered something that would fall into, you know, cause it, technically it's inventory, it's physical yeah. inventory. 
So not necessarily inventory, but probably a lot of people listening are cash as taxpayers for tax purposes. So smaller and actually pretty good size, but smaller companies can be cash basis. And so what that means is that you pick up income as you receive it and you take payments as you make them. Uh, so, you know, the other option is accrual. So most, you know, bigger companies are all accrual and you may even be accrual for your financial statements, but then cash basis for tax purposes. You have power when you're a cash basis taxpayer, because again, conceptually, you pick up income when you receive it. So if you don't mail out those invoices until, you know, December 28th and everyone's gone for the holidays, then it goes to next year and it would actually be income next year. And then also the cash basis taxpayers should always at the end of the year be looking at their AP because a, a payment that is made, you know, at the end of December is a deduction in uh, except for rent, but in, in general, um, most things, if you accelerate it or you just, you know, pay it early in December, it's a deduction in one year. Um, if you wait and don't get those checks until January, it's really that, I mean, that much of a difference, December, you know, December 31st to January 1st, um, and the timing of the deduction. So that's where you would see that power. Um, inventory is a little different because it all sits on the balance sheet until it's sold. Cool. Well, that helps answer a lot of our questions. I want to give uh, a thank you, Carrie, for joining us and Don so for joining welcome. us. Thanks for having me. Meryl, I'm not going to thank you because you join us every time, but I love yeah. you. So you'll get that. You tell that to all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, working. Okay, go on. <laughs> all right. I will. Uh, I wanted to give Carrie the opportunity to uh, give out uh, Aldrich's, you know, web address, any contact info. So any of our listeners out there that do need some advice or need to be pointed in the direction of, of advice, um, Aldrich is a fantastic uh, firm that, like Carrie said in the beginning of the uh, episode, does all kinds of amazing things for business. Um, so Carrie, uh, with that, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you? Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me. This is great. I hope it was helpful. Um, it was awesome. I hope that my nerdy knowledge, you know, brought someone joy or at least something to think about. Uh, so our website is aldridgeadvisors.com. Uh, and you can also call our front line, uh, 877-620-4489. Uh, and our lovely receptionist will address you to the right, will get you to the right spot. Awesome. Nice. Well, this has been a great, a great episode. I want to thank all our listeners out there for joining us today and uh, soaking in the tax knowledge. Um, and again, Carrie, thank you so much. Don, thank you so much. And uh, with that, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday again. Um, be safe out there and uh, continue to press onward. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Much gratitude to Carrie Souders and Don Hatton for participating today. As always, thank you for spending time with us this week. Tune in at your convenience wherever you listen to your podcast by searching Rock Shop Talk. On our next show, we'll feature the topic of registration. If you'd like to request me on the show, please visit rock.us slash rockshoptalk. If you found today's episode helpful, the greatest accolade we could ask for is for you to recommend it to a friend who you think may find it helpful as well. Please like, share, and subscribe on social media. Until next time, rockers, press onward. Mm -hmm.